Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast, Walking with Dante, in which we are walking slowly with Dante the Pilgrim and Dante the Poet through, well, the comedy, but right now just through Inferno. And we have reached the opening lines of the third canto of Inferno. We're going to do lines 1 through 21. If you're paying attention and reading along, I'll read them to you in my translation. You can find other translations from the Hollanders or Lombardo or others out there that you can also see. And if you want to, you can visit my website, markscorbro.com, and see my exact translation of these lines. And if you want to start a discussion with me there by the comments, oh, that would be fabulous. So without any any further ado, we finally enter hell after all these episodes, and here we go. Through me is the way to the city of lamentation. Through me is the way to eternal sorrow. Through me is the way among the lost people. Justice moved my high maker. I was made by divine power the sum of all wisdom and primordial love. Before me, nothing created was made except for the eternal things, and I endure eternally. Abandon every hope, you who come in. I saw these words etched in shadowy colors written above the gate, at which I said, Master, the sense of it all is tough for me. And he to me, as someone on the watch for what to say, Here you must put all doubt away. You must put to death whatever makes you afraid. We have come to the place where I told you you will see the sorrowing people who have lost the good of their minds. And when he had placed his hand in mine, with a cheerful look that comforted me, he led me to the things that are unknown. All right, that's where we're going to stop. We're going to stop right at the gate of hell. These opening lines, the first nine lines of Canto 3, are the words above the gate of hell, the words above the archway that is the entrance to hell. So let's stop and let's just talk about those words up front. The first thing we could say is that they're weird. And by weird, I mean, if we're reading the poem, and we've been reading about the pilgrim and Virgil and their stories and Virgil meeting Beatrice and, you know, the whole thing that we've already been through. When you first encounter these lines, if you don't know anything about comedy, about even Inferno, if you know nothing about it, you would think to yourself, who in the heck is speaking these lines just come out of the blue. They start a canto. Through me is the way to the city of lamentation. Who's talking? Who's the me? Through me is the way to eternal sorrow. And I think that sometimes we, maybe this is the part of the inferno that you know. This is the part of Dante you may know, abandon hope all you who enter here. Maybe you don't recognize how strange this is that this sudden me jumps out that is not a speaker. We've had Virgil talking and Beatrice talking and St. Lucy talking and maybe the Virgin talking and Dante talking and all these people talking and now suddenly these words jump out through me and notice that the gate of hell speaks truth autobiographically. 
through me. It speaks truth autobiographically, I would argue, in the same way that Dante speaks truth autobiographically in the comedy. In other words, there is a way in which everything, including hell, is through me. Whether that me is Virgil, or that me is Dante, or that me are the gates of hell. You as a modern person may think, well, yeah, duh, duh. Everything is 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 through subjectivity. Everything is pushed through autobiographically. Even this podcast, I mean, he's going on and on about Dante. Surely it's all hitting him as a former academic. And yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. Everything is autobiographical. Yeah, that's because we're moderns. You're missing how weird and modern this is in a medieval poem. You're missing that it's not always been this way, but you're watching it start to happen this way in Western lit. Okay, those opening lines. Through me is the way to the city of lamentation. Let me just stop. Oh, so stop so often. Let me just stop right there. The city. This is a civic vision of the afterlife. The afterlife is a city. Heaven and hell are a political arrangement. They are cities. Wow, that's, that's a kind of wild idea. And in fact, we're going to find out that hell itself, once we get going, is actually a, a metropolis, a city with gates, like a medieval city with gates and entrances. This is not the, the only gate we're going to encounter, the mouth of hell. And so these kind of gates and stops as we enter into this city of hell and ultimately the city of heaven and the city, the civic vision of the afterlife is incredibly important. Why? Well, for several reasons. One, because, of course, St. John in the Apocalypse, as it's called in the Catholic Bible, or the Revelation of St. John, as it's called in the Protestant Bible, in the New Testament, of course, talks endlessly about the city of God and the streets of gold and etc. So there's a setup in the Christian tradition for an ultimately a civic vision of the afterlife, probably coming out of Roman civic society. That is, Roman, Roman society is so intrinsically civic that it even, what's the right word, it even colors, I was going to say infects, but I'll go with color, colors the Christian notion of the afterlife. We should also think that, of course, Dante is writing in the coming of nation-states. I spoke a lot in the opening episodes about warlords and who controls what and being under the protection of a warlord and all that stuff, but, you know, in the end... Florence is becoming a city-state on its own. This is part of the way to break the power of the warlords, but cities are becoming, uh, I don't want to say autonomous regions because that's too big, but they're starting to gain a kind of independence that will ultimately lead to where we are today, to the nation-state notion of world configuration. So that's also part of it here. And then we should also say that it's a kind of a move to order, you're going to find out that hell and purgatory and heaven are, are ultimately a bureaucracy with all kinds of levels. Well, I don't know that anybody's going to be retrieving files out of a file cabinet, but they're ultimately kind of a bureaucratic order of structure, of up and down, a kind of, well, for lack of a better word, modern corporate structure. For now, let's just say 
It's a city. Through me is the way to the city of lamentation. Through me is the way to eternal sorrow. Through me is the way among the lost people. Justice moved my high maker. I'll stop there too. God, as interpreted through Aristotle, which is the basic way God's going to be interpreted in medieval theology. Thank you, St. Thomas Aquinas. God is the unmoved mover. So how can God be moved? This sentence, justice moved my high maker, violates the basic Aristotelian notion of God as the unmoved mover. How can God be moved? God moves everything, but God in God's own self is not moved. That's the theological bit about the line, but let me just say that I think there's more to it than that. I think we're watching a poet developing his own concept of how to write a poem. And if it violates a theological notion of God, so be it. Justice moved my high maker. I was made by divine power, the sum of all wisdom, and primordial love. I, I translate that primordial. The word is primo in the Italian. First love, primal love, fundamental love. So power, wisdom, and love in their essences created hell itself. And I'm going to come back to this in just a second. Let me just go on to the next lines and finish off with the, what it says on the gate because I just want to comment on that for one minute. Before me, nothing created was made except for the eternal things. And this has to be true in Christian theology. It may seem weird. You're going to say, wait, hell was created before heaven and earth were created? But the fallen angels had to go somewhere. The fallen angels had to end up when the angels fell with Satan out of heaven in Christian theology. They had to go somewhere. So hell had to already be there. In other words, when Satan shows up in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, he has to have been originally somewhere. Where was that? So there must be something created before earth is created and here this claim would be that this is even before the opening of Genesis that somehow before anything else was created hell was created nothing before me nothing created was made except for the eternal things which of course brings up the whole question of then God knew all along that the universe was going to end up damned and I endure eternally abandon every hope you who come in here Okay, let me go back to those lines. I was made by divine power, the sum of all wisdom, and primordial love. Those are all good things, right? But if you remember back to the early part, the very opening lines of the comedy, I made a big deal about how Dante said that he will, in order to get to the good things he saw, he has to tell everything that he saw. I remember this, and I made this big deal, but you got to earn your cliche and blah, blah, all that stuff. I, what I skipped over blithely was the theological conundrum of those lines. Because in the end, Dante says he's got to get to the good things. I have to tell the bad things. I have to tell everything in order to get to the good things. Hell is not a bad thing. That line, Those lines are slightly theologically askew in traditional Christian theology because hell cannot be a bad thing. It is created, as it says here, by power, wisdom, and love. So it itself, a creation of God, must itself be good. It cannot be bad. And so those initial lines are more theologically complex than we might have first imagined. And they're a bit of a problem. 
there's two ways to interpret that problem. Either Dante himself, the pilgrim, and the writer has to eventually learn that everything is good. That's a very orthodox interpretation. Or that Dante, the writer, is slowly coming to understand the weight of the poem that he's writing, the theological weight of it. And early on, he's not yet quite there. We're getting closer now because hell is created by love. Again, let me just remind you, this is not what I think. This is what the poem states. Okay, enough about the get what's written over the gates of hell. Moving on. I saw these words, the poem says, Dante says, etched in shadowy colors, and I won't even talk to you about the, diff- the, the difficulty of I saw versus through me and how the voicing is changing, but let's just skip it and say I saw these words etched in shadowy colors written above the gate, which is open. It's also open in Virgil's Aeneid, when Aeneas descends to the afterlife, at which Dante says, I said, Master, the sense of it all is tough for me. Let's stop right here. Notice what just happened. Dante the Pilgrim is a reader. He reads what's written on the gates in the shadowy or opaque or dark colors. He reads that wording up on the gates or arch of hell, and he can't quite figure it out. Dante is a reader who requires a teacher. And that teacher does something very special, which we'll get to in just a minute. But I think it's important to realize that the opening walk into hell after that entire second canto about getting your rhetoric right is now Dante is not the rhetorician. He's not somebody who's practicing rhetoric, but rather he's somebody who's reading rhetoric. And the reading is hard. I don't know what to do. And it requires a teacher. This gives us a hint about what Dante thinks about his own poem. That it requires a teacher. It requires someone who has read it, who knows it, to get you through it. But what the teacher does is very specific. And let's get to that. So after Dante confesses that it's tough... Virgil says to him, as someone on the watch for what to say, here you must put all that away and you must put to death whatever makes you afraid. Notice the antithesis to the opening line where it says, or the opening bit on the gate, abandon every hope you come in. Virgil says, you got to put to death whatever makes you afraid. Those two lines, abandon every hope and put to death whatever makes you afraid, are Do you feel attention? They're pulling. They're pulling at each other. But more importantly, here's what I'm interested in. Virgil, the teacher that Dante asks, why just read something and I don't understand it, he recasts what is written to fit the reader's personal space. This seems to be the kind of interpreter Dante is looking for. Just as when I called prophets pundits, or when I talked endlessly about the alignment of the will and rhetoric in order to be a good writer today, I am moving the poem out of its space and into what I hope is your personal space, because that's the kind of teacher, leader, guide that Dante wants for his poem. Notice that Virgil does not interpret any of the words on the gate. Rather, 
he makes a call to action, not what the words mean, but what you, Dante, must do. You must put away all doubt. You must put to death whatever makes you afraid. I believe this is how Dante wants the comedy read. You should also know that this bit is a quote from, close to a quote, from the Aeneid, from Virgil's Aeneid. Uh, as Aeneas starts to descend into hell, the Cumaean Sibyl makes a similar, you know, hell. Aeneas starts to descend to the underworld, not hell. But the Cumaean Sibyl makes a similar claim where uh, basically the Sibyl says, now is the time for courage and a heart of iron. So this is reminiscent of exactly what the command Sybil says to Aeneas as he descends to the end of the world, as now Dante's about to descend. In fact, this whole canto, Canto 3, is the most Virgilian canto of any canto in the entire comedy. The first descent through hell is basically Virgilian. So he says, you've got to put to death whatever makes you afraid. You will come to the place where I told you. You will see the sorry people who have lost the good of their minds. And I should note that that word is perduto, lost, lost the good of their minds. It's not an existential verb. It's not a verb that, you know, don't think about uh, lost your mind like <laughs> you had your great aunt that went crazy and sat in her window knitting all day. She lost her mind. It's not It's 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 not just an existential verb or people who have lost their way in this world. Is an actual verb that requires an object for Dante Perduto. And for Dante, this word, lost the good of their minds, is a, it implies a choice. It implies something they did who have lost the good of their minds. Not just, not just something they are lost, but something that they actually did. And the word, the good of their minds, the word there is intellecto. That's, it's actually singular. It locks the good of the mind. Ultimately, as we will see, God is the source of all intellecto, of all the mind, of everything that is thought and that is thought correctly. That source is God for Dante. And the intellecto is, uh, overstating it just a little bit, but it's, the, it's that bit of the divine spark in each person. Since God is the source of the intellect, that we also have intellects that can be corrected cor to, to, to think the way God does. Therefore, that's that little piece of the divine in each of us. It's lost, of course, in damnation, but that is in each human. And this, this bit, that there's a little divine spark in each person, of course, indicates Dante's humanism. I'm, I'm making a lot out of that, and you can't really see that in that line. You can only see that if you read the whole poem. And when he had placed a hand, the poem goes on, and when he placed his hand in mine, with a cheerful look that comforted me. This is one of the only times this happens. Early on, he offers Dante a nice little uh, bit of camaraderie between them. He led me to the things that are unknown. I think you need a smile to get to the things that are unknown. <laughs> I think you need a smile right before you descend into hell, which we're going to hit next week with the first people in hell. But it's interesting that this cheerful look on Virgil's face comes right at this moment. Cheerful because, one, Virgil has, I don't want to say he's, criticized Dante, but he's certainly given him a goosing. Here you must put all doubt away. Remember all that stuff in the second canto about Dante's doubt. Here you must put to death whatever makes you afraid. Well, you'll find out Dante's not quite able to do that. But okay, he's goosed Dante a little with some, you know, hey, pull it together. 
we're coming to the place I told you about where you'll see the starring people and you're the one who said you wanted to see them. So good. Here we come to it. And he leads him to the things that are unknown, which are coming up in the next episode of Walking with Dante. So next time, we're going to meet the first people in hell. Next time, we will continue this journey down. I'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast, Walking with Dante. Please rate it. Please give it a rating and give it a comment if you can. You can connect with me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm in all those places. I'm not on TikTok, and I assure you I will never be on TikTok. But... (laughs) I'm just too old to be on TikTok. But you can find me in lots of other places and we can continue walking with Dante at our slow pace in the next episode. Mm-hmm.